0: sense i am your host taylor gibson joining me as always from the tropical metropolis of calgary alberta my co-host tim jensey tim how's it going sir
1: going good going good i uh, just got back in from edmonton
0: oh you're up in the city of draft for lottery champions were you
1: yeah yeah they haven't changed the sign yet
0: no not yet i mean hopefully in the next little while they can given but i guess they haven't really won the lottery in the last couple of years have they
1: no no that's new jersey
0: that's true, but I mean I don't know if they're gonna be willing to change the the motto to the state, even though I think they're like, what, 0-6 or 0-7 right now?
1: Yeah, well, the Oilers, on the other hand, haven't lost the game yet.
0: Crazy times we live in, man.
1: Yeah, no kidding.
0: So, Tim, I'm very excited that we can get together to do an episode, not because it is Canadian Thanksgiving today, but because this week's episode is season three, episode two in chronological order, episode fifty-six. The Brian Fiverr 6 edition. Now, before you we go on to talk it. about Brian Fiverr 6. I you
1: call this episode 5 or 6? Just saying, missed opportunity.
0: Well, maybe, you know what, Tim? Maybe I can name that when the episode comes up.
1: Fantastic. Let's
0: do it. That'd be that'd be pretty good. That's a good idea.
1: Yeah.
0: So, one thing I do got to talk about before we talk about what our favorite moments of Brian Fiverr 6 is. I did put it up on Twitter there today that Brian was our cover athlete, and brian 5 or 6 himself both retweeted and liked it.
1: I mean, when someone's dedicating something to you, isn't that just natural?
0: True, but I mean, you know, some people don't have to do that, though. Some people would be like, oh, that's cool, and just move on with their day.
1: Oh, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough, it's... For
0: sure. So, I guess let's talk about Brian Fever's Six a little bit. Now, obviously, we remember him when he was writing for Bonk's Mullet, and we would know some of the stuff he's been doing on Periscope and, obviously, the Eric Carlson rant. Do you have a favorite moment of his that you that he's done that you were like, man, this is really great, or overall, are you just being like, you don't think he really point to one?
1: I think there was just a random game where his stick was he was being chased by a lynx.
0: It's funny. I no, I don't remember this specific moment, but I do remember you mentioning this.
1: Yeah, it's either that him wrecking the TV when Carlson first got traded, or the Zach Smith painting when Zach Smith got traded.
0: But, oh, the Zach Smith one! I totally forgot about that one. That was actually pretty good. Yeah, 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 yeah. The TV smash was pretty good, but I think it's funny. Like everybody on Twitter was like, "Man, you could have donated the TV to a worthy cause," and Brian's just like, "That TV was already." wrecked guys like it didn't even work
1: well i mean it doesn't even matter it's a prop who cares these are cheap It's just people wanting to complain about shit good comedy's good comedy who cares
0: i know but i think one thing that nobody really talks about when talking about that moment is he got a really good swing out of that shovel too
1: oh no fucking kidding
0: dude! like that wasn't like a little jagged little like goo. he fucking put his whole body into it and it was a clean stroke you know was clean, seamless. I don't think enough people give him credit for that, Tim.
1: No, honestly, and if we're going to talk about important skills, look how smooth the brush strokes were on that wonderful Zach Smith. Piece.
0: That is true, man. I got to give him that, you know, because honestly, and now that I think about it, when looking back, I was like, you know, his, you know, it was all in the wrist. He didn't use his arm. He used his wrist like Bob Ross would do, and he just let it flow like water. Fantastic. So, Tim, let's talk about next week's poll, because next week is Season 3, Episode 3, Carlinch Order, Episode 57. Now, we got two people on the board. We've got Derek Grant and Tommy Wingles.
1: You know, both of those ended up having NHL careers, but I'm um, going to have to call this real one, uh, real Clash of the Titans we got here, okay?
0: I know, man. This is a real barn burner, where you got the super awesome skills of Derek Grant and the unforgettable skills of Tommy Wingles.
1: It's interesting, though, that Derek Grant did go on to be uh, kind of a journeyman shutdown guy, while Tommy Wingles he was already that when he spent his brief time in Ottawa.
0: Do you remember who we traded for for Tommy Wingles again? Because I know he came over... We traded th- seventh? Was, was that all we traded? Because remember, we, he was with the 2017 <laughs> team. That's all I remember of him, that he was on the team, he didn't really produce as much as, say, uh, not Oscar Lindbergh. Who, who the fuck was that other guy? Gagelberg. Yeah, or that yeah. guy. Thank you.
1: Gagelberg. Stolberg is an
0: economic model. Oh, um Victor Stahlberg. Victor Stahlberg. I didn't mind him. It was sad he went back to Europe.
1: Yeah.
0: As you can see, the dog's already barking in the background. So, given that it is Canadian Thanksgiving Tim, I gotta ask the all-important question given that you were up in Edmonton. How was your Thanksgiving weekend?
1: It was what it was, honestly. Yeah? much more to say about that
0: no how was the drive back because i know that you and i were talking about this earlier today that you didn't know when you're going to get back because there was what snow in edmonton or snow in between calgary and edmonton
1: yeah it was snowing in edmonton when we left although it's funny because got about halfway to red deer and the snow was gone
0: okay that's not too bad then so all then in was, all good trip
1: sailing the rest of the way that's awesome
0: man so yeah it was not a bad drive back you know, Chelsea's grandparents are doing great up in Edmonton, all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, close enough.
0: That's awesome to hear, man. So, I got to talk a little bit about my Thanksgiving weekend because last night I had my third Thanksgiving dinner in about four days. Oh, geez. Now, oh, on turkey. Thursday night, I actually, we actually did our yearly Canadian Thanksgiving dinner for the students at work, and we served out 700 kids in about 35, 36 minutes. Yeah. That's a lot. That's not too bad, but given that we were like four minutes slower than last year, because last year I think we were about thirty two minutes. Uh. I don't know. I it's think it's t- I know, we're slacking. But you know what, we're using brand new shavers this year and our boss wants us to be a lot more careful with them. And I think that's uh, okay, why yeah. that our time kinda of slacked, given that he doesn't want them getting scratched, he doesn't want them getting destroyed, and given how much that he actually paid for them, like per shaver, it's like Okay, yeah, we'll take your word seriously and not wreck them.
1: Yeah, let's not break shit.
0: Yeah, actually, I want to tell you a really good story because I was at my dad's the other night and I was talking to my brother, and he and I were just having a, you know, you know, just bullshitting. And he actually mentioned he had a really good story because his wife's sister's friend, I'm not sure where she lives. She might live up in Kelowna or wherever my brother's wife is from. And he was telling me that over the summer. Uh, she was hanging out with Joel Edmondson. who now plays with the Carolina Hurricanes because apparently that's her boyfriend. Oh. Huh. Yeah, so she was not only hanging out with Joel Edmondson, but also they were in their apartment or during the summer hanging out, and Braden and Luke Shen showed up, as well as Shea Weber. Whoa. So you had, like, three guys, three to four guys who were, like, millionaires in her apartment, two of them who just won a Stanley Cup in June, and here they are in her... Tiny little apartment partying.
1: <laughs> the hell of a
0: story. That's not a bad story at all, man. Not a bad story at all. But you know what we need to make that story even better? A cool little section. A segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. So Tim, as you know for the last couple of seasons, whenever it gets to Top of the Hour, I hate talking about deaths. We want to talk about a death right off the bat. Former Boston Bruins defenseman Ted Green passed away at age 79 after a long illness. Green spent 11 seasons with the Bruins from 1960 until 1972, winning the Stanley Cup in 1970 and 72 before joining the WHA's New England Whalers for the 72-73 season and later joining the Winnipeg Jets in 1975. Post-career, he joined the Edmonton Oilers coaching staff where he would win five more cups in 84, 85, 87, 88, and 90 before becoming the head coach of the Edmonton Oilers in 1991 before being fired in the 93-94 season. Now, when I was looking up this guy, and honestly, I didn't know much about him, but the one thing that really stuck out for me is that the 1970 Stanley Cup, even though his name is engraved on the cup, he did not play a single game that year. And I'll explain really? why. Really? Because during the preseason, him and a gentleman by the way of Wayne Mackey, who a lot of people would know was one of the first star players in the Vancouver Canucks who passed away in 1974 due to brain cancer, he and Ted Green got into a got into a Donny Brook in the preseason where Ted Green got got hit in the head with a stick, and he was lost for the season. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because like you have players later who don't play a game. Of- in the season they'll they'll play games in the season but not enough in the playoffs and they won't end up on the cup like I think that happened to Sean Avery so it's interesting that he still ended up on the puck but I guess it's a different time different standards right that is true that is true and he also got a day with the cup which I think that was pretty cool but yeah even if say he didn't win the 1970 Stanley Cup he still has six Stanley Cups to his name one as a player and five as a coach
1: Yeah. yeah can't sniff at that my dude
0: no, absolutely not. So we're gonna move on to this next story. Now, you do know what a rage room is, correct, Tim?
1: Yeah, sounds like a good bunch of fun.
0: I would imagine just so.
1: Go around break shit.
0: Yeah. So for those who don't know, a rage room is it's a demon a demolition room. Is that is that the word that they want to use
1: for it? Yeah. Basically you just smash it.
0: Yeah, so basically you would go into a room and they give you either a baseball bat or a sledgehammer or something, and you can break everything from TVs, lamps, anything that you want to think of. Just go full Brian. Exactly. Go full Brian like if Eric Carlson is traded out of town. Yeah. Now, when talking about a Rage Room, Tim, and talking about hockey, what is the first city you would instantly think of? LA. The Philadelphia Flyers have opened a Rage Room at the Wells Fargo Center for their home opener versus New Jersey. Fans can swing hockey sticks and baseball bats to break dishes, TVs, bottles, and a fishbowl with the opponent's logo. The room is part of a $265 million overhaul of the venue.
1: That's interesting. Like, that's just something I wouldn't associate, like, going out to an event and seeking out doing that, you know?
0: That is true, but you know what? Of all cities, that is the perfect city to have one of those in. Is yeah.
1: Well, they're notorious for being just these aggressive, aggressive fans, right?
0: Hmm. And actually, speaking about aggressive fans, I was watching the Seahawks-Browns game here on Sunday, and one yeah. of the Browns fans got thrown out of the game because he threw something onto the field. It ended up hitting one of the security guards.
1: Oh, jeez. Yeah, because like the one that's, I think, famous is uh, when the Philadelphia Eagles fans threw like rocks and shit at Santa Claus back in the 70s.
0: Yeah, because they were wanting to get the number one pick, which was O.J. Simpson, and I think they ended up winning like their final two games or something, which got them the second yeah. overall pick.
1: And it was just such a dismal season on top of that. That's true. Yeah. I yeah. think the Flyers ended up winning that home opener, too. So, good autumn.
0: Absolutely. The Vancouver Canucks have named Bo Horvat as their 14th captain in franchise history on Wednesday night during their season open, season opening pre-game celebration versus the Los Angeles Kings. Horvat, drafted 4th overall by the Canucks in 2013, is succeeding Henrik Sedin as the Canucks captain. Now, I didn't get a chance to watch this game in particular because it was on while I was at work, but I did watch a little bit of the pre-game celebrations, and the one thing that really struck me as wow I can't believe that this is now happening in twenty nineteen was the return of Topper Tuzzi. And really? the fans roared. The fans gave him a standing ovation when he hit the ice. And it's amazing, right? Because it's been fifteen years since the Topper Bertuzzi incident. And yet Todd Bertuzzi is still a very popular figure with the Canucks fan
1: base. Yeah. Well it was interesting because I felt like he kinda he kinda had to leave was the feeling I got. And he honestly spent Probably most more of his career away from Vancouver than he did in it.
0: Yeah, but he spent his best years in Vancouver. Oh,
1: though. for sure. Although his Detroit years weren't bad.
0: They weren't bad, honest. but no, they were nowhere where they were during Boston. the Westfield Express era.
1: We're talking like hundred, like uh, almost a hundred point season in two thousand and two, two thousand three.
0: Yeah, because Marcus Naslund did the same thing where he almost hit fifty goals himself. Hmm. But there's actually one thing I wanted to point out to you, uh, given that we were talking about the Flyers, and now we're talking about the Canucks. On Saturday night when the Canucks played the Flyers, the Vancouver Canucks have their throwback jersey to their very first, the dark blue and the green. I wanted to ask, because given that they're in their 50th anniversary and the Buffalo Sabres are in their 50th anniversary, what do you make of their jerseys, though? Not just Vancouver's, but Buffalo's all white with the gold as well.
1: I haven't actually seen it, so uh, I don't know. I actually do like that original Vancouver green, so I'm actually I'm actually pretty happy with that. Um, let's see what we got here for those Buffalo jerseys. Honestly, they're fine. Oh, they're not bad jerseys. To be perfectly honest,
0: I don't know what I to. Yeah, I don't know what to part. make of them honestly because, like. The all-white, but the gold lettering and the numbers look kind of cool, but I'm not sure about the logo itself. Like, I I like the original Sabre logo, but I don't know about the all-gold look.
1: Honestly, I think it looks fine, especially because they're trying to really invoke that U.S. Cavalry look. I think it works.
0: New Jersey Devils forward Wayne Simmons made some comments to Flyers beat reporter Sam Cicciardi regarding his time with the Flyers. Simmons stated he felt he deserved better from the team given the time, sweat, and tears he put into the organization and thought he did everything possible to get an extension. Simmons was traded from the Flyers to the Nashville Predators on February 25th.
1: Honestly, I didn't watch Philly games enough to really get a feel for uh, Wayne Simmons, but honestly I felt like in the last few years he was really slowing down.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat with you. And I in the same way, I didn't really watch any of the Flyers games when he played, other than when they're playing the Sens or the handful of Flyer playoff games that I saw when they were making it. But yeah, given the last couple of years, it's really in Nashville is where it really came to light. It was how slow and how beaten up he really was. Because really, he was a non-factor for the Predators in that playoff run last year. Yeah, the big thing about Wayne Simmons was when he was, when he was
1: his best, Like, at the peak of his career, it was really about him being able to just really cause havoc in the offensive zone and keep the net area clear in his own zone while still putting in healthy amount of offense. And in the last year, like, it's been kind of regressing for the last two years. But uh, we'll see how it goes in Jersey. But so far, not good.
0: No, not at all. Even though I will give New Jersey credit for one thing, though. I'm not going to lie. I kind of dig those new-look Devil jerseys.
1: Uh, Again, I haven't really gotten a good look at them, but uh, I'll take your word for it.
0: Yeah. So, Tim, even though we started off top of the hour with a sad story, let's end off on a good story. (laughs) San Jose Sharks have re-signed Patrick Marleau to a one-year, $700,000 contract. Marleau recorded 16 goals, 21 assists for 37 points in 82 games for Toronto, last season and we also can't forget Tim that he is also a Carolina Hurricanes legend
1: oh you mean just like uh, Seth's legend Ian Cole
0: yep and Sharks legend Mike Hoffman
1: (laughs) although uh, Marlowe's fit right back into the Sharks lineup and getting a point in his first game and uh, actually
0: he had two goals this first game He had
1: two goals okay yeah so he's fitting quite well, and it seems that the San Jose skid uh, just kind of stopped when they kind of filled in their ranks a bit.
0: I know, which is really sad for us, because I know Pan was saying on Twitter that he was score- scoreboard watching like it was like late March in the first week of October. Like, oh man, we could possibly get two top five picks.
1: Well, I mean, here's the rub. As long as they miss the playoffs... That's something that's possible. And the West is pretty good this year. The only teams that I can really see falling out of playoff contention at this point is Winnipeg and Anaheim, unless the Oilers go Oiler. So, like, the whole thing, it's pretty easy tossed up. So who knows if they'll make it or not, honestly. But, like, I don't expect Dallas to be this week going forward. God knows with Vancouver or Minnesota...
0: I don't know. I mean, I know that Minnesota beat Ottawa earlier today, but, you know, we could always talk about that on next week's episode, Tim.
1: Exactly.
0: Speaking of games, though, well, I guess that, honestly, that time to wrap up top of the hour and head off into the games because we've got two games on the schedule. We've got the Blues versus the Senators and the Lightning versus the Senators. Now, for the first time this season, I get to see these words, Tim. Hit yeah,
1: the music. Time to play the game.
0: Time to play the game. <laughs> okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Blues versus the Senators. This is a 6-4 Blues victory. Blues go to score by David Perron with two, Oscar Sundquist, Jay Boehmister, Braden Shen, and Ryan O'Reilly. Sens go to score by Vitaly Abramov with his first NHL goal, Artem Andesioff, Chris Tierney, and Anthony Duclair. Shots were 36-29 for the St. Louis Blues. A somewhat even, evenly played game overall. Both teams started the game fast-paced with loads of energy and physical play, which evened itself out as the game went on. Both teams got a number of chances throughout this game. However, St. Louis found their extra gear and got the W. So I guess the best way to go about this is to start talking about Vitaly Abramov, his first NHL goal on three shots. And I was talking about before we hit record, I've been very happy with his performance in this game.
1: Yeah, and one of the best things and that I really saw from that game was uh, the Nemestikov and Nemestikov and Nisimov were fantastic, and Abramov as well. They were all fantastic at a very sustained pressure. Like, they were fighting very hard the whole time. And whenever they're in the offensive zone, defensive zone, it was just hard work turning pucks over and... Uh, I think this is definitely one of the... Remember when we had Noodles on and uh, he said that Ottawa is going to take teams by surprise come into Ottawa napping think it's going to be an easy two points? This is one of those games. Because Ottawa came out, worked hard, and played a respectable 60 minutes.
0: Yeah, I was very happy. And actually, going back to when we had Noodles on the show, he also talked about the Toronto Maple Leafs and their... Oh God, how did he put it about the Leafs in their tank? Um
1: oh the dignified
0: tank. dignified tank this is what I've always got over the last couple of games with the Ottawa Senators is that the Senators have not dogged this for effort night after night and, and I'll talk more about this when we talk about in Tampa Bay but that was one of the things I always noticed is that this was a, such a departure from last season where if the Senators got down by a couple of goals it's like they just shut themselves off it's just like okay, I guess we're not coming back from this. Outside of, say, a Brady to Chuck who would just run at you with everything he had trying to get get the team back in shape.
1: Yeah, and I was really happy with the way that the Russians were playing. Honestly, I thought all four lines looked pretty, like, as good as they could, but uh, didn't have the skill to keep up with St. Louis when St. Louis finally really started to play.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And actually, speaking of the Russians, I want to talk a little bit about Artem and He had one goal and two shots. I actually thought he played a strong game overall. I know that I've been very happy with the three Russians that they put together on the Sens. And I'm happy that he could actually find a goal because he's actually got a number of chances so far in the games I've seen him. And he was one of the guys I'm thinking, okay, let's kind of see what this guy's going to do. And so far, I've been actually kind of happy with his performance given this season.
1: Yeah, and I think having him and around like Nemestikov, Abramov, Zaitsev, you have that core of Russian players where they're not going to be just kind of alienated on the team. They'll actually be able to communicate with each other and kind of help guide each other along, and I think that's going to be really important for Russian players coming up.
0: Yeah, absolutely, especially having a young guy like Abramov where he has he has Zaitsev he has those Russian those more veteran Russian players around him and it, it's been really good I've been very happy and speaking of Zaitsev another make belief I was very happy with and I, this is a guy that coming this season I'm kind of surprised of how happy I've actually really been given that I didn't know much about him was Connor Brown now even though he only had one assist I thought he did a lot of the little things right in this game and for me, he was always in the right spot in those offensive chances.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the things you kind of notice about him is that he's another one of those guys who doesn't quit. Like he's pro- he's not he's never going to be as skilled as Brady Kachakis, but it's the same. They're cut from the same cloth.
0: Mm-hmm. And I know that even though we made fun of Pierre Dorian last season, you know, with the you know the whole we're a team, but for me, from what I've seen so far, and we're only like two episodes so far into the season, that's the one thing that the Senators are playing more like a team. It's not just like we have a bunch of players out there who are going for themselves. We have a team that is playing for themselves, and they know that, hey, listen, listen we're not going to be very good, but let's go out every night and let's try our best.
1: Well, the thing is, is they've managed to get, they they got some, even the chances they didn't score, they got some very, very good looks. Like, uh, probably the turning point of the game was that, uh, Jake Allen standing on his head to keep out a three-shot attempt from uh, Ennis White and Kachuk, where Kachuk drives the net hard, tries to pass it off to White, gets bl- gets saved off by Allen. White shoots again, then Ennis fires a shot that was labeled for the net, and somehow Allen gets his glove on it.
0: And it's funny, Wait. I I have that in my notes as well for the turning point because honestly at that point in the game, the game could have gone either way for either Ottawa or Saint Louis because we're both both teams are getting a lot of good chances, and I felt when Jake Allen stopped Tyler Ennis, it felt like the air just deflated in the Ottawa sales, and that's when Saint Louis finally found that extra gear and got the W.
1: Yeah, it's hard though, because like you had that it's another one of those it's like paying off the net, then all of a sudden it's in the the other night. it's gonna happen veteran teams are gonna be able to come back from that but the nice thing is is ottawa managed to bring it back a bit with tyranny put it tyranny scoring and then you had anthony duclair tie it up as well and it was just hard fought goals and i don't think ottawa ever really went away this game
0: no absolutely not uh brady to check, six shots i also felt he played a really strong game uh one guy that i actually felt his stats may not back it up, but under his Nilsson, 31 saves, a .861 save percentage. Personally, I feel he played a really strong game, and the one thing that his stats don't really back up, and if you're just judging it on stats, you're thinking, wow, a .8671, that's not really good, but if you watch the goals that he let in, none of them were soft. All of them were really good shots on him.
1: Well, look at, like, four of them are from either the slot or a face off dot. One of them's like, Bone Easter, who ha- was shooting through, like, four guys. And the last one is a power play goal from the slot. That's that's hard. Those are high-danger save. Hard, those are high-danger shots. And high-danger shots tend to have, even in elite goalies, you're saving about 85% of those. 80 to 85% of those. Mm-hmm. So if you're facing a lot of high-danger shots, then your save percentage is going to be lower. That's just the way it's going to be. Um... One thing I really liked about the Senators was they were managed to get they managed to get themselves right in the slot, right in the office a lot. They didn't have a power play; they played fairly undisciplined, to be honest. But uh, they managed to get into nice positions. I liked Ottawa's defense this game. I felt they were moving the puck well, and honestly,
0: the Borowiecki and Dylan DeMello pair was fantastic hmm I've actually been very happy with the defense. Now, outside of the obvious game being the one against the Leafs, even players that sense fans were very questionable coming over, like Nikita Zaitsev, I don't think Zaitsev actually been that bad. Because, honestly, he just looks over and he knows Thomas Shabbat is there. He's either getting it out of the zone or he passes it over to Shabbat. Yeah, and that's
1: the big difference. Like, Nikita Zaitsev versus... Uh the odyssey of Cody Ceci that Toronto is now experiencing is, uh, Zaitsev can get the puck out of the zone. He, yeah. He might not be great in transition, but he can get that fucker out of the zone. That's something that Cody Ceci can't do. And, uh, it's amazing that we're spending so much time talking about a Maple Leaf here, but, uh, poor Morgan Riley.
0: I know. And actually speaking about my brother, cause I saw him there on Saturday night, and he was watching the Leafs-Red Wings game, and he just looks at me, he goes, Tay, you were right about CeCe. And I sat there, and I had this big grin, like, I fucking tried to warn you. I tried telling you he was awful and wasn't very good, but no, you didn't listen to me. You said, oh, at least we're going to get rid of Nikita Zaitsev on this team. How bad could Cody CeCe be? Ha, ha, ha. Four games in, at least Twitter's like, this is like the worst fucking defenseman we've ever had, and Ottawa fans are like, we try telling you. We try telling you that.
1: Well, the best one is re- like, a, I still remember that Steve Dagle tweet. CC is bad. <laughs>
0: oh, that's so good. Actually, <laughs> but, uh, one, anyway,
1: one final to comment. You, to like, sorry, Tim, go ahead. Yeah, like going back to the Ottawa defense, like I was very happy with Demelo Borvietsky and Eric Brandstrom was moving the puck confidently and uh, he was on the right side of the plate the vast majority of the time and, uh, I think Eric Brandstrom is just going to get better as the season progresses and I feel I feel really bad for Christian Wollanen but I'm really happy with what we have in Eric Brandstrom so far.
0: You know what, and I'm actually maybe the minority because the one thing I've known about Brandstrom is I felt that he hasn't looked overly confident with the puck is that and even in the games that I've seen him and actually, it, he's more noticeable for me in the next game we're talk about. But the one thing I've noticed is that the last year with the games that he played for the Senators, it was very noticeable he was on the ice. He picked up the puck. He smooth-skated around everybody. He was in the offensive zone. I did not have not noticed that so far this season. And maybe that's just me, or maybe that's just the isolated moments that I'm actually looking for Brastrom on the ice. But that's one thing I've noticed is that he doesn't seem very confident on the ice. It just seems like he's being a little more cautious and a little bit of like, oh, God, I'm a 19, 20-year-old defenseman in the NHL now.
1: I think part of that is he has to cover for Ron Hainsey. Because, and I notice this a lot on the penalty kills, Ron Hansey's out of gas. So Eric Brandstrom can't be too far up. He can't take as many risks because Hainsey can't bail him out. And I think that's kind of what it is because, like, when you can tell, like, he's moved He's working more with his passing and his positioning, mm-hmm. which I think is a lot better. And I think once him and Hainsey kind of figure it out, we'll see that smooth skating again.
0: Okay. Uh, sorry, Tim. Just one final comment I do want to make about this Blue Sens game is the attendance. Now, I know over the last couple of seasons, the attendance has been not that great. But we're still, you know, ten to 11,000 a night we hit 9,000 in this game. And that, that is really weird because, again, the St. Louis Blues just won the Stanley Cup. And coming into the season, you know, Thomas Shabbat re-signed. Brady Duchuk's already having a really good season. You have, like, one or two of the young guys that we still have this te- on this team. And it, I didn't really notice that on the TV when I was watching it. It wasn't until afterwards when I was reading that the tens were, like, 97, 9,800 people in that building.
1: Yeah, well what you're this is the consequence of the bloodbath in season ticket sales. Like, season ticket sales were decimated because of how bad last season was. And all of the Melnick drama. So you're relying to get to sell it, you're actually relying on walk ups. And given that the stadium's in fucking Canada, you're not gonna get as many walk ups. So you're going to see a lot of just ho-hum nights like this. Yeah, and, and it's, it's also... not the fan base, it's this the team. But what's interesting, I think what might help is that there's rumors rumbling around Ottawa that things are moving. People in the hockey media are openly talking about the Senators being for sale now. No matter, and Bruce Garyoff did pour, try to pour cold water on this in question period during the it was the second intermission in the st louis game where he said no melnick's not selling the team but you've got sportsnet guys tsn guys openly willing to say that the senators are for sale then that's a cat out of the bag
0: yeah and i think maybe because bruce Garriott, does he work for the now he works for the sun right the audible sun
1: yes but he's one of the only people that really has access to the team, so at some point he does have to toe a line.
0: That's true and maybe that's why he's throwing cold water on this, right? Whereas like guys like Darren Drager and these guys who work for TSN Sportsnet they are working for a network. They're not working for a newspaper that's very closely
1: associated with the team and maybe that's why he's throwing cold water on those rumors. That's my guess as well, yeah. I'm going to actually look up who exactly said said that the scents were for sale okay uh it was oh crap okay oh it was one of the guys it was on the sportsnet it was on oh it was chris johnston on uh sportsnet 960. so that happened on air so it's not like it was hidden in a back page somewhere it was somewhere very conspicuous
0: so, Tim I don't have any more comments to make about this game if you want to head into the second and final game of the evening
1: yeah it's uh we had a really good effort from Otto on this one and uh, we got a better we got just as good of a one on Saturday afternoon yes we
0: did lightning versus senators this is a wait no what Tim we won we actually oh, won <sighs> sorry I need a minute this was a 4-2 Senators victory. Lightning goals were scored by Andre Palat and Luke Witkowski. Sens goals were scored by Vladislav Nabistov with 2, Colin White and Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Shots were 33-21 for the Ottawa Senators. Ottawa outplayed Tampa for a majority of this game. The Sens came out flying in the first 5 minutes of the game until Tampa got their game going. And from there, it was a back-and-forth game with both teams getting a number of chances. But Ottawa ended up with the W. Now, of all the notes I can actually start off with, I actually want to start off with this, and we were talking a little bit about Dylan DeMello, and I can't remember if we were talking... We were definitely talking about this before we hit record. This was actually kind of a chippy game, and while the physical play was there, there was definitely a couple of really chippy hits, and the one that I noticed was Yanni Gouda hit Mark Borbieski from behind, and Dylan DeMello ended up dropping Yanni Gouda with a good fight. And later in the game, jean gabriel Pagel and Braden Point had a scrap. And, of course, you know, Brady was starting the plot, and Bora always yeah. jumped in to get in between them. But that's the one thing I really noticed, is that, yeah, two fights in this game, and the guys like Demel, who's not the biggest guy in the world, was standing up for a teammate.
1: Well, and I think that's another one. Like, you mentioned, like, this, it feels like a team this year, and uh, I think that's really apt. Because, like, yeah, you had... Korvetsky gets dumped from behind it's DeMello's first in that's it's just really good and then you have Jean-Gabriel Paggio after the game is talking about uh, that fight and apparently Paggio was like wait he wants to fight I don't really want to sit for five minutes but if it's me and point going off I have to take that
0: yeah and actually the one thing I noticed about Paggio having that fight is he got a really good uppercut and I was like whoa like Paggio man where did you learn how to fight like that's a pretty good little scrab he had there, buddy.
1: Well, he was tor- channeling in his inner Gordy Howe.
0: That's true. And actually, I have that in my notes. But before we get into that, let's talk about Vladislav Nemistikov. Two goals, one assist. To me, he was one of the better players on the Ottawa Senators, if not the best on this game.
1: Yeah, between him and Pajot, they were all over the ice. Lots of good looks. And they were both pitching the puck pretty well from what I can see. I guess the other thing that doesn't help is Tampa just didn't show up to play. Let's be real.
0: No, the other thing though no, they definitely had some really good chances, but overall the energy level from what I was seeing was more in spurts, more than evenly spread out throughout the period. Yeah. And throughout the, the other period.
1: thing, and this has been true of Tampa for a while now is that if you clog up the neutral zone. Tampa doesn't really know what to do. And I felt that I know I was good really happy about them last game, but I felt like the Borvietsky demello pairing, they did a fantastic job of just supporting the forwards and clogging up those lands.
0: Yeah, and even Noodles mentioned about Nikita Zaitsev is that his one on one battles with Steven Stamkos were pretty good in this game as well.
1: Yeah, like if you can if you can take Steven Stamkos one on one, you're doing something right. Um one thing I'm not happy about is Ice time allocation.
0: I know, we exact, I know exactly. I know exactly where you're going with this, and that's playing
1: the young guys. Why is it three minutes? This this is deep boucher shit. Let's not do this.
0: That's true, unless DJ Smith has all but just lost confidence in those young guys. Yeah, because yeah, what's well, the thing? But like, if you were to look at
1: Sauberin down. if he's gonna play three minutes too, fuck it.
0: But the thing is, is that Scott Sabron has. And I'll I'll be the doubles advocate there. I think Scott Sabrin has actually played somewhat decently for the team. Now, I don't understand that this is the year where you're supposed to play the young guys. But when you have a guy like Sabrin who will go out and he just... He plays hard every shift.
1: Well, I mean, if he's playing two shifts a game, why the fuck is he here?
0: No, Actually, I do want to talk about Sabrin just for a second here. Because in this game, he had two... He had back-to-back penalties in this game. And... That's my big criticism, is that he could have seriously hurt Ottawa as they were on the penalty kill for over four minutes with him in the penalty box. And this was the thing. He got out of the penalty box from the first penalty. He went up the ice. He got the puck. He tried to do a little move going around the goalie, and he crashed into Curtis McElhinney, and he got called for goalie interference.
1: Yeah, you can't be doing shit like that. And, like, I understand, like for that, it's, I'm glad that he got stapled to the bench for that. That's dumb shit. But honestly, if Avermouth's down, I wouldn't mind seeing Sabra sit for a few games or get... Honestly, they can send him down. Nobody's going to claim him. And see, give Shlapik and Brent... Like, give uh, Shlapik and... uh, Batherson? Batherson another shot. Why not?
0: Yeah, because apparently they've been doing really well in Belleville
1: right now. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, Anisimov is injured as well, right? Anisimov. Yeah, someone else. Someone was injured. One of these games, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Anisimov.
0: Might have been. I didn't. uh Honestly, I didn't really notice anything out there.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah, because Anisimov played. Wait. Yeah. Low, low, low minutes. Uh. Yeah, he's out for Monday. Ah oh, shit.
0: Okay. I'm actually speaking about this game, and this is a game that I really noticed the top three lines of the Sens all played fantastic. I think the Dechuk White, Ennis line played really well. I think the All-Russian line played well. I think the the Bo- not Boro. um
1: Claire Tierney, Ryan.
0: Yeah, dude, Claire Tierney, Ryan played really well and actually Bobby Ryan, and I know you talked about it on the last episode, Bobby Ryan's been doing very well this so far this season.
1: Yeah, honestly, I he's generally where, like, he's usually where he needs to be. He's almost always on the right side of the puck and that uh, he's supporting the young guys well. And, honestly, if he keeps playing like this, I have no problems with his contract the rest of the way out. He's a good veteran presence.
0: hmm I just want to talk about Craig Anderson uh, very quickly. 19 saved a point nine zero five save percentage. Didn't see a ton of action, but for what the action he did see, I thought he played pretty well.
1: Yeah, it's 905,
0: not great, but honestly, it's better than you needed a bounce back game. Yeah, and honestly, even if it's, say, like a 19-save game like you had in this one, that's all you really need. You just need to get a W and get some confidence back because, and we were critical of Anderson in last week's episode during the lease where a lot of the issues he had last season are back. And But you know what? During the Leafs game, nobody played well in that game. Yeah, no. One guy we do, I do want to talk about very quickly again, is Eric Branstrom. I know we talked about him in the Blues-Sens game. For me, this was the best game he's played so far this season. He was jumping into the play. He was creating opportunities. And the one thing that I really noticed is that DJ Smith is now trusting him to play some power play time with Thomas Shabbat.
1: Yeah, I think that's going to be... That's going to help him a lot, and... He was playing some hard minutes too. Like uh, he was pl- he saw a lot of uh, head minutes, Sergejev. So it wasn't like he was getting sheltered minutes either. So that's that's only good for uh, Eric Brandstrom, and I'm glad that he's being given these opportunities. And uh, yeah, he wasn't doing too good on the on the shots up front, but that'll come.
0: No, but the fact that he was jumping into the play and doing everything that we saw him do last season. the fact that he's he's now back to doing that is a very, very positive sign to see.
1: Yeah. No, uh, I'm very happy. Sorry, and he was involved. He was involved. Sorry, he was on ice for a goal as well, so I'm very happy with that.
0: Yeah, and I think the only other comment I probably could make, I didn't really add it in my notes, was the goal that got called back for Tampa Bay where it was a clear goalie interference where the Lightning guy skated into Anderson and actually... Kicked him in the side of the head as he went down. And that was kind of the turning point for the Tampa for the game because Tampa Bay had already taken the lead or not taken the, they tied it up and that's when they could have taken the lead right there, got called back. And that's when Nemistikoff got his first goal with a beautiful move by Connor Brown to move around the sliding defenseman too. Mm
1: -hmm. Although at the same time, I would have been happy with no-win Senators.
0: Yeah, and I think Ian Mendez even pointed it best. He says, you know what, the fans' expectations is you don't have to be good, you don't have to win, just be entertaining. This is exactly what this, so far, this 2019-2020 Senators team has been for us.
1: Yeah, and, like, this week, it, like, if we can get this week all season, I'd be happy.
0: Yeah, and if we, can get, like, if we can get the number one pick in the end, that would be fantastic. Well, oh yeah, time. well
1: that's the thing, it's like, and I'm including Mun, today's game as well that we aren't talking about, but uh, if you can play well every game and win 1 out of 3, you're going to be good. 1 out of 3, you're going to get about 60 points, and that's good for last, but it's going to be fun while you do it.
0: So Tim, I don't have any more notes to make here if you just want to head on to the close for another evening.
1: I guess I, I guess I just want to sum up that I'm really happy that Boro and Tamello have been finding success because Boro's like, he's one of those guys that I want to like and uh, because he's a really good guy and he's finding success, I'm super happy.
0: Well guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plugged Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We are on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network, where you can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You can also find us on Twitter. At ThirdLightPlug plugs our Twitter handle. Tim is at M91HoneyBadger, and I'm at GreatLightGipster, G-R-8-W-A-T-E, Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about these games or just talk about how we are now on the National Podcast Network, shoot us an email. sensecast at gmail.com. So Tim, we gotta talk, we gotta look at the games for this coming week. We have the game today versus the Minnesota Wild. Thursday, we are in Las Vegas to play Mark Stone and the Vegas Golden Knights. And Saturday, we are in Arizona to play the Arizona Coyotes. This is gonna be the busiest
1: episode we've had this season so far. I know. Man, 5 five-day breaks, do
0: you I know, but you know the nice thing about doing these episodes now? Is that now we don't have an hour long talk of the hour? Yeah, and getting some time to leave It's awesome. Until next week, guys, I am your host, Jim Gibson. And this has been Tim Check. Go Sense, man.